I'm Satya Nelms and this is Our Mother's Gardens. On this show, we discuss the seeds our mother sowed in us, the ways we have grown, and how we learn to blossom. In this space, Black women that have learned to define success on their own terms share stories of their beginnings, healing, and thriving. Welcome and thank you for being a part of this community of mamas, grandmamas, aunties, sisters, cousins, daughters, and friends. Today we are in the garden with Brandy Janan. Brandy is a black woman, mama, and social worker. She lives in Queens, New York, and enjoys gardening, reading, yoga, and meditation. Brandy is also the owner of Beloved Wild, a small business offering herbal-infused skin and hair care to support self-care and energetic wellness. Brandy is the director of a community-based family therapy program in Brooklyn, supporting families in crisis. All right, so we'll jump right in. When you hear the word mother, what does that mean to you? Oh, wow. Mother to me means, such a great question, so many things. Um, I think of mother as like a nurturer, um, as a provider, but also someone who has the capacity to like bring a whole new being into the world, right? Mm -hmm. And that's an incredibly powerful, spiritual thing. Um, So I like to think of moms as like magicians, but not in like a cheesy way, like literally like we sacrifice our organs (laughs) for nine months to like create a whole new person. Right. You need help. Um, and that's just so powerful and so magical. Yeah. Um, so that's immediately what I think of when I think of mom. Yeah. So who are your, who is your mother or who are your mothers? When you think about mother, who, who are the people that come to mind or who is the person that comes to mind? Um, I'm on the <laughs> um, so I, I think of my mom, but I also think of um, my biological mom, Vanessa. I think of my biological mom, but for the first like seven years of my life, I lived with my grandparents. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of my grandma. She cooked every day. She was the one who like kissed boo boos. Um, she was the one who cussed you out if you needed to, or gave you gave you a whooping <laughs> as well. Um, but I also I think of all of um, school has been such a like a safe space for me for for a very long time. School was always my life place. Mm-hmm. So I think of all the the teachers that I had that were mothers, mm-hmm. um, particularly my fifth grade teacher Angela Thompson, who like saw me in a way that no one else ever saw me and was really like, "You're a writer." Mm-hmm. And like it, before I even knew what that was, she was like, "You're a writer and you're going to write the school play." And I was like, "Uh, okay." <laughs> <laughs> And I did it, and like we wrote a musical, you know. Mm. Um, and that's mothering, you know, being able to like see people in a way that they don't see themselves. So I think of all my mothers, Miss Thompson. Um, when I got to Spence, I had this wonderful teacher, um, older Jewish woman who was like my rock, and like would talk to me every day, give me pep talks, and give me hugs. The administrative assistant at my school, like so many different women who like just took me under their wing and were like, what you doing? Where you going? Fix your skirt. You know that skirt's way too short. <laughs> you know, all that is is mothering. And so I'm really thankful to have had 
um, all of those experiences of mothering, because my relationship with my, my own mom has been really complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, and at times when I felt like I didn't have the support that I needed or that I didn't have that nurturing, mm-hmm. there were so many other mothers who gave it to me. And I'm so thankful for that. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a beautiful thing to be able to think of that, of of your mothering in an expansive way, where it's not limited to like, well, this is the person that brought me into the world, but really to be able to see the way that your life was touched by all these different, all these different people. Um, yeah. So what made, if you don't mind talking about it, what made your relationship with your mother feel complicated? Yeah. Um, so first off, my mom had me, she was like an older teen mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that in and of itself, like, I know she was not thinking about being a mom at 17, 18 years old. You know, mm-hmm. like that, that was not on her mind. Um, and then it was kind of an accident. Like, my mom was on birth control. <laughs> and here I come, like, ah, so, you know, I think a lot of that was, was really growing things. Like, she was not in the position to be a mom. Um, and I don't think she ever really wanted to be a mom. So I often felt, like, very disconnected from her. Um, and I didn't have that, like, fantasy, you know, where your mom, like, does your hair. And, you know, it's very nurturing and very affectionate. Like, we did not have that kind of dynamic. Um, there were months, sometimes even years, where, like, my mom and I wouldn't hug. You know, like that just wasn't, she's not very um, affectionate or like nurturing in that way. My mom is really smart. Mm-hmm. So her, her mothering was about like, be smart, you know, be independent, have your job, finish your school. But we didn't have that kind of affectionate um, relationship. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think on top of that is, um, you know, just trauma, you know, like the generational trauma that runs, mm-hmm. um, you know, on both sides of my family, you know, abuse, substance abuse, uh, sexual assault and sexual trauma, you know, all of that really factored into um, our relationship. And, and I really, particularly as a teenager, didn't feel like my mom had my back. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't feel like she supported me. I didn't feel like she stood up for me. Um, and I remember telling her, like, you don't even like me, wow. <laughs> you know, like, it, it's okay. I really got to that point. I was like, you and I are two very different people and you don't like me. And that's okay. Um, and so it was really difficult, like, having to grieve that fantasy of what a mother-daughter relationship looks like. Um, and for a long time, I was looking for other women to give me that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's nothing that can replace, you know, your biological mother's love. Like, you can be looking and looking and looking and have all the supports in the world, but nothing can replace that. Right. And so for a long time, I really resented her um, and feeling like she deprived me of, um, you know, of that daughter experience. I'm an only daughter. Um, I have a brother, and then my dad has another son, which both of them are younger than me. Mm -hmm. So I never really had that, like, sisterly, motherly, like, feminine. I never had that bubble. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was really angry at my mom for a long time about that. Um, But, you know, as I've gotten older, I've I've had to make peace with, you know, her story didn't give her, her journey didn't give her the tools to be that kind of mom. You know, her mom wasn't that kind of mom. And her mom's mom was not that type of mom, you know? So it's bigger than her and I. It goes back 
you know, generations on her side of, of just that mother-daughter bond not being there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had to come to peace with that and figure out, okay, what do I do with that? You know, right. what do I do with that? Um, and becoming a mom has helped in some ways, you know, really helped me have compassion for her and just understanding, like, I'm doing this in my 30s. Mm-hmm. I could not imagine what it was like to do this as a teenager. Mm-hmm. You know, I, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> right. Right. I, I, I just couldn't even imagine that. So giving giving her some grace and understanding that she wasn't ready and she didn't have the tools either. Mm. Um, and seeing her now as a grandma, it gives me hope. Mm-hmm. You know, she's still not the fantasy grandma that I had in my head, right? But I can tell that she's really working on herself. And really working on how she communicates love and how she expresses love with people in her life. Mm. Um, and I can see the progress. So I, I try to, you know, have that kind of compassion for her because I, I don't know what I would have done in her situation. Mm. So do you think the turning point in your relationship was when you had your son or did it come at a different point? It was definitely after I had my son because I was still angry at her <laughs> when I was pregnant I was I was very angry when I was pregnant um and I was very angry when the baby was born because I wanted her to come a little earlier and she she was like I'm not trying to be like Mm-mm. Mm. <laughs> that's too much for me yeah, yeah, you know, that's the baby was me the baby was you <laughs> um and you know I really had to make peace with that like that was her own trauma history she had a very traumatic birth and she was like, I, I can't do that again. I'm going to be no good to you, is really what she said. Mm. And I had to respect that. I really did have to respect that eventually. Not right away, though. <laughs> um, but it was really like seeing her spend time with my son. Like, it had nothing to do with me and her. Mm. Um, there was a point where her and I were actually living together, and it was bad. <laughs> it was really bad. I was like, we can't live together. Like, we can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was seeing her, the relationship that she has with my son. Mm-hmm. They very much have similar personalities. Um, so they keep it up. And, you know, I didn't have that with her. But yeah, it was seeing their relationship and that, that started to um, give me a different perspective. Yeah. yeah. You know, maybe, maybe she couldn't be that person for me, but maybe she can be that for someone else. So you said that when you were a teenager, at one point, you told her, you don't like me. When did you, in, in hindsight, do you feel like that was true? And when do you feel like that shifted? When do you feel like she did start to like you? <sighs> I mean, the question sometimes I have is, is does she, you know, we are very different people. And we've had very different experiences. Like my mom... Um, was born and raised in the projects and like that's been her world right her friends her family um you know even her work environment it kind of overlaps into people that she knows from the neighborhood so she had this really like rich experience of being in a community and there were problems in the community but it was her community right she could walk down the street and everybody knows whose child she is and if something happens they know who to get you know they can get one of her brothers or, or something like that I didn't have that experience. I was an only child for a long time. Um, and then really going to private school like put me in a whole different world, right? So the experiences that I was having, my mom didn't have any framework to understand. You know, I went to Spence, really like all white, 
all-girls school, and she wanted me there to kind of keep me safe through some of the things that were happening in our community. Mm-hmm. But it was just a different world. Like she came up once and was like, "I'm not coming back here again. Wow. <laughs> I don't, I don't feel comfortable here. Like you, you got this." And it was kind of like, uh, "Okay." <laughs> wow. Wait, how um, long were you at Spence? I was at Spence from seventh grade to twelfth grade. And she can and so she came through once. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so that that whole experience was traumatic in and of itself on like racial levels and uh, I had a couple of sexual assaults on the train going to school. Like it was it was just not good. Um and I remember one day I came home, you know, kind of talking as she would call it, like a white girl. And she pulled me aside and was like, don't you ever come in this house talking like that, ever. I was like, okay. You know, so like we're two very different people. Our experiences are different. Um, you know, my mom grew up in a very like conservative, you know, Southern black household. And as a woman, there were things she didn't say, things she didn't do. And I was doing all of those. I was very outspoken. Um, I didn't, I, I, and I still don't have that like fear of, you know, what other people think or what other people are going to say. So, you know, as a teenager, I was, I was a little annoying, a little obnoxious. And, um, you know, being in a predominantly white space kind of forced me to really come, come to some terms about my blackness. And so I went natural. And, you know, that was a whole nother riff because she was like, I'm not doing your hair. You look crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not a part of any of that. You know, so it, it really was just like we are two very different people, and she didn't have a frame for understanding anything that I was about or anything that I was doing. Mm. And so I just remember saying to her, like, this is like, you don't, you don't like me. Mm. <laughs> you know, she was like, you gotta buy your own clothes, you gotta get your own hair done. And I understand in retrospect that she was teaching me how to be independent. But at that point, I really needed something else, right? I needed a safe space because where I was all day was not safe, mm. you know? Um, and so I really felt like because she didn't protect me and nurture me in those ways, I was like, you, you might love me, you know, but you don't like me. You don't like who I am or who I'm becoming. Mm. Um, and I think, it, I think it's still true, you know, to a certain point today. We are two very different people. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of times I feel like, oh, she don't, she don't like me. She don't like what I said. She doesn't like how I said that. But, you know, I'm me, and I'm going to say it and do it anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think we've made our peace with that. You know, I'll come visit, but I can't live with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. We could, you know, watch maybe like an hour of reality TV together, but like, mm-hmm. We ain't gonna do that too long. That's her thing. I don't like that because I'm gonna say some things that are gonna make her be like, "You need to go because it's my show," right? You know. Um, and so just having those those kind of boundaries or those limits there, like this is this is the distance that we need to have between us in order for us to have some relationship. And right. you know, that's all right. Right. It is what it is. <laughs> right. So when you were experiencing that trauma when you were going to Spence, when you were navigating getting to Spence, traveling there, and that experience of being in a predominantly white place, did you talk to her about what that experience was like for you? Was there any space for that? No, none at all. It was really just kind of 
don't don't bring that white girl stuff home. Mm. I mean, that was really the extent of talking about it. My mom knew very little about my life expense and what I did. You know, she saw my report card. <laughs> you know, um, she did. One of one of my other mothers at Spence um, was an older black woman, and they would speak every day about me. Mm. So, you know, this is when she came in. This is what she looked like, and she was a So it's kind of like a, a, a proxy. <laughs> you know, there, there's someone kind of in the middle translating and mediating right. for us, um, which worked out really well because that that period was the point where I was like, oh. Oh, she might. Okay. 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 <laughs> because I would walk in and, and, and uh, her name was Miss Downey. She'd be like, your mother called me twice this morning already. Can you please, can you please go call her and tell her that you're all right? Can you please? I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, um, but it was, it was usually kind of through someone else. <laughs> we didn't really have those direct conversations about anything. So then speaking of those other mothers, were you able to speak with any of them about what was happening with you? And yeah, where I guess which, what was the outlet that you needed? What was the mothering that you needed? And where did you find it in with those experiences? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, one, it was, you know, the women, the older women in the school, like Miss Downing, and um, like the women who worked in the kitchen, and some of the guys who worked in the kitchen would be like, you didn't eat today. I saw you in the cafeteria, but you didn't eat today, you know, and they would like pull me to the side and give me some food. So, you know, folks like that really took care of me in, in that way. Mm-hmm. But it was really my peers. Um, Spence had this wonderful, has, sorry, not past Spence. They still have this wonderful organization called ALAS. Um, it's the African Latina Alliance at Spence. Um, and it was a group only for girls of black or Latina descent. And that, and that was our safe space. We met every week. We, you know, had discussions about, you know, hair, clothes, dating, all that stuff. We, you know, would organize with other schools and go parties together. You know, so that was my safe space. Like when I was old enough to become a leader of that organization, I was like, yes, I need to be able to give to the younger girls what I had mm-hmm. um, because it was so it was so crucial. Like just being able to go into that room every Wednesday, you know, at lunchtime, I knew, you know, this is what we were going to talk about. And if I need anything, I, I, I knew who to go to. Mm. You know, those are my big sisters. And a lot of those women, I still have those relationships with today. Like, I ran into one of them at brunch, and she was like, what? you didn't have your mask on. <laughs> I saw you come in. And it's like, you're like, you're like, thank you, Judy. Um, and so that community really, really nourished and sustained me in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my coaches. You know, I, I played three sports for a couple of years in high school. Um, but my track coach, um, who was just very petite, soft-spoken, um, Hawaiian-Japanese woman who was a powerhouse. You know, once she found out what happened, she would, after track practice, she would ride halfway home with me on the track. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of going in the opposite direction of where she needed to go. Mm-hmm. You know, just like we're the same size, like what you going to do? But it was just the idea of like, I'm not alone. You know, yeah. So really thankful for that like extended network of women because um, they help me out for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
What was the transition like for you going from living with your grandparents to living with your mother? What did that feel like for you as a kid? I remember being, you know, I've never actually thought about that. I remember being a little sad because, like, my grandpa was the one who hung out with me after school. And so I was like, well, who's going to get me French fries? And who's going to play with me? Well, by that time, I was a little bit older. And so I would just go to my grandparents' house after school. Mm. Um, so even though I wasn't living with them, I was always over there. Mm-hmm. To think about it, I don't really remember much about that, like that initial transition at all. Mm. To be honest, that's a good two years. I don't really remember it much. Mm. So, what would I? So, how did you observe the women, the mothers in your life, taking care of themselves? And how did the way that you observe them caring for themselves affect how you would later care for and mother yourself? My grandmother was um, a very, uh, what's the word for this? She was very concerned with like her public appearance. Um, I remember when she was older and she had um, like early, early signs of dementia. And so she would forget little things like she would forget to put a coat on, forget to put her shoes on. And I remember like, Nana, like, wait, wait, you gotta finish getting your dress. And she's like, yeah, please do it right, baby, because the people are used to seeing me a certain kind of way. Like, they can't see me pretty. You know, my mom, my grandmother was a woman who went to church, like, every Sunday, sometimes Wednesday. She was on the deaconess board. So, you know, it was always about, like, getting herself ready to go outside. You know, somebody had to come please her scalp. And that was usually my aunt, because my aunt is the one who does hair. So she would come over and she would have to please her scalp, or she would ask somebody to, you know, come do her toenails. It was always like a communal thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I always just remember that, like, my grandmother would call around, be like, can somebody come and put some curlers in my hair? Because she didn't know how to do hair at all. <laughs> so it was always, like, something that you did in community, which I think mm-hmm. really, really sticks with me. Like, this idea of, of self-care you know that's that's cool but it's really about like the community of like how the other people in your life help take care of you because ain't nobody got time to call me shit by myself and I, i'm not doing that um, <laughs> so you know she was very image conscious so she would always have her clothes together and that was the thing like let's go shopping Somebody go take me to King's Plaza. Somebody to go take me to the mall. So that was always what I thought of as self-care, right? Like going to get pretty. <laughs> yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily my my thing, but I've, I've learned over time, like you have to do that. Like, even though it seems kind of silly and frivolous, like, yeah, you need a facial. You need a facial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. You need from these feet. Yeah, that's always my ideal. Like, who's who's coming to comb this hair? Like, please, my for real, somebody please come and help me. Yes, I feel you. I feel you. I love that self self care as community care or community care as self care, and not feeling like you have to do it all by yourself. Yeah, yeah, because it's just not it's not possible, right? You know, for moms, the expectation is that you're taking care of other people, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, when you're looking at how many hours in a day, like, take 
care of yourself and other people, it's just not realistic. It's not feasible for you to do everything by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a major lesson of this pandemic. Like, I cannot do everything. I cannot be all things. And I need to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, it, it will come back me in the butt later. Right. You know, it will absolutely come back me in the butt. Right, right, right. So what are some of the lessons that stand out to you from, you know, the way that you were mothered? Either things that were directly taught to you, like this is what I want you to do, or just things that you observed. And so when you think back on, you know, your childhood, your teenage years, those are the things that stand out. Like these are the things I learned. Um... I think a lot of it has been about like what not, I mean, not what not to do, but like what doesn't work for me, right? Um, like I'm not, I'm not a person who can hold in their feelings for very long. Like that's not what mothering is for me. Like it's, it's not this idea of like sacrificing everything. Um, because I've seen what the consequences are of that. You know, it impacts your health, your, your physical health, it impacts your mental health, but it also impacts your relationships. You know, you get to a point where you look around and you're like, where are the people taking care of me? Mm-hmm. No, my father's mother was the kind of woman who would literally anybody off the street who needed something, she would give it to them. Um, you know, because I have a boy and I'm always thinking about like how to raise um, a young man that I would be proud of and recognizing that like one of the important things that I can do for him is to show him like this is what it means to be a healthy woman like a healthy woman is not a woman who gives and gives and gives at her own expense um, he needs to hear no because he's going to be told no and he needs to not be that dude that doesn't understand no you know right. Right. Um, so a lot of it has been about like the 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 hard the hardship of my own childhood and my own adolescence to think about what do I want to do differently um, mm-hmm. and there are things that I want to keep you know but there's things I definitely want to do differently. So how do you think growing up as a black girl affected the way affected your mothering? How did that? What did that do? <sighs> That's a big one. Um, being a black girl, particularly a black girl that felt that she wasn't protected, has really made me like, I don't play. <laughs> I don't play at all. You know, I've run up in the school a couple times like, who said what? Mm-hmm. You said what? You know, we had a situation where um, one of the like assistant teachers made a really inappropriate comment about my my son's hair. You know, I don't, I don't cut it. I don't do anything to alter its texture. He likes it that way. So that's the way it's going to be. Uh, but she made a comment, like, along the lines of, like, you need to tell your mother to cut your hair. You need to tell who to do what? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, and I really have to, like, you know, kind of gather myself to be like, okay, you don't need to flip out on her. You know, she, she's like... 19 years old, right? But we need to have a conversation. Um, and you, and after that conversation, I wasn't satisfied with how that conversation went. So you don't go to that school no more. Like, out. 
mm-hmm. you know, I, I do not play. If, if you harm my child, if you don't make him feel good, if you make him feel unsafe or unhappy, we're going to have a conversation. And that's everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had, had conversations with my mom, my dad. Like, you don't hit him. You don't yell at him. You know, you, you, we don't do that. And if you can't live by that, then you can't be around him. Like, hard line. Because I think a lot of times we really normalize violence against children. And we, you know, oh, they're they're resilient or, you know, it happened to me and I'll be okay. And it's like, well, first of all, we are not okay. Number one. (laughs) We are not okay. Right. (laughs) Right. So let's, let's get that out the way. Number two, just really understanding, like, from a child development perspective, what they need is not to be prepared for the outside world. They need to be loved and so full of love that it kind of buffers against what happens in the outside world. Mm-hmm. You know, that I think more than anything has really informed my parents in the outplay. <laughs> I do not let you harm my child, we're going to war. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain people in my family that I do not allow around my child. And, you know, there's some tension about that, but <laughs> right. I'm not playing. <laughs> right. Right. I am not playing. Right. You know, and I, I think that that is probably the, the biggest thing. Um, I don't play. <laughs> right, right. So if you were to offer advice to someone, both reflecting on your own experience as a mother and on the way that you were mothered, if you were to offer advice to someone about mothering and what's something to keep at the forefront of your mind, what's something to remember while mothering, what would that advice be? You know, coming back to how I define motherhood, just really understanding that it's a sacred responsibility. You know, it's really, really sacred and it's when you feel that you can't handle it, reach out for support. You know, because it's a tremendous responsibility. It's a lot of work. It's the hardest job on the planet. But nothing will fill you up like knowing that you have loved a child with your whole heart. Like there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing that can even come close to it. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, you know, if it's not your thing, there might be someone in your support system who's really all about it. Um, and you don't have to be ashamed about it um, because most of us weren't given the tools. Um, and it's, it's it's really an opportunity to heal and to grow, but you have to be willing to kind of step into the step into the shadow mm-hmm. and, and be able to face that. And when you're able to do that, mothering is, is magical. Yeah. But you, you have, it's like the, that whole birth journey is very, very real. You know, mm-hmm. you, you kind of die. Um, so just know that it's okay to kind of die and be reborn again and invent yourself again and again and again you know and i I think that's the thing about mothering like it's going to open up so much for you you know that like my spiritual journey has deepened so much more since becoming a mom Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but it can be scary it can be overwhelming but know that you're not alone you're not alone and there are mothers everywhere who are just itching at the opportunity to support you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would probably be my message. Well, thank you. That was all of my questions. <laughs> thank you. These 
those are really good questions. I love it. Thank you. I love Thank it. you. Yeah. They, you know, they're questions that I've asked myself and questions that I wonder about, like about other Black obviously other black women I wonder you know what was their experience like because I have a really I had a really dysfunctional and painful relationship with my own mother and it's you know really complicated and all of those other things and a lot of times you know in the black community we have this like you don't put your family's business out on the street you know like you don't talk about that so in like in the public nobody talks about having complicated relationships with their mothers because you don't put that out in the street you don't talk about that but then it makes those of us who do and there are so many of us who do feel like siloed or isolated or alone yeah and we carry the shame of whatever it was that made it complicated right right by not talking about it it's like oh that's your problem you know you did that and it's kind of like well this is this is our problem, mm-hmm. you know. And the more that we allow it to remain silenced and buried and hidden, it's going to spread, and there are going to be more of us who have these experiences. So we have to shift it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Mother's Gardens. If you want to support the show, you can make a sustaining donation on Patreon by visiting our page, Our Mother's Gardens. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. You can also find us on Instagram at Our Mother's Gardens PC. Our Mother's Gardens is a Honey Bunch of Stinkweed production. The podcast features music produced by Bata.